2: Welcome to the program. It's the Monday edition of Brand New Week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to the Word to Stand On For Life. I hope you know this by now, but this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart or mind. Maybe you're confused about something. Maybe you just want to know what it is that Christians believe. We will do the best we can to answer those questions. You can call us by calling area code 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR at 630-5757. You also can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button on your phone and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer and that is the best way if you are calling this is one of those Mondays that comes so fast usually by the time Monday comes I'm really really tired and seems like we've had a little bit of a rest but but boy this weekend was so busy that uh, it just the time just flew uh, on a programming note for all of you next week And the following week, Paula and I will be on vacation uh, at the beach in San Diego. We can't wait. It's not that we don't want to be with you. It's just that we really need this vacation. And Pastor Ken will be on the air next week, live, taking your calls and questions. So please, he's a lot smarter than I am. So give him the really, really hard questions. Uh, He will be here and his wife, May, will be with him on the day -day edition of the program uh, both weeks, I think. And then uh, the following, we will be doing a series of repeat broadcasts. And then I'll come back and hopefully, though you won't be able to tell, I'll have a tan and I'll look a lot better, a lot healthier. And uh, we'll be back to taking your phone calls and questions. One more time, three four zero ninety five eighty five. One other thing I forgot to mention, ladies, tonight uh, is the second installment of our Sweet Summer Devotion series here at Calvary Chapel. Sarah Green will be sharing her heart. Um, I am really looking forward. I'll be peeking in on this one as well. Uh, but Sarah will be here, get here early. We'll have a big crowd, and it's always, always a great time. Child care, of course, is provided, and you can bring your whole families. Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. He's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We also have uh, high school and junior high school age Bible studies on Monday night, so the whole family can come, and you will be blessed as a family together. Okay, let's get to the questions that have been called in. Remember, we love your live calls. They are more interesting than I am. Here's a question from DW. I'm confused because one person on this station said if you have sex before marriage or out of wedlock, that will not go to heaven, period. Then others say that the only unforgivable sin is to not believe in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, D.W., let me kind of take this from the, from the back forward. Uh, there is only one sin that is, is a sin that can't be forgiven, and Jesus called that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what that is is when we die in our sin, you know, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict, you of, uh, convict the world of sin of righteousness and judgment. Now, what that means is that we are aware of our sin, We're aware of the righteousness of God, and a way to become righteous, of course, that's to receive Jesus Christ, and of the impending judgment if we don't do those things. If we die in that condition, then there's no coming back. So that's what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. So that's important to understand. Now, regarding this whole thing, um, if you have sex before marriage, or you have a baby out of wedlock, you'll not go to heaven. I don't know who on this radio station would have said it. I can't listen to the station all day long, but um, there's a good lesson here for all of us. Just because somebody pays for a radio program doesn't mean you can trust everything they say. We need to be Bereans. We We need to understand who Jesus is. We need to understand the character and the nature of our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And here's what I know for sure, and DW, here's what you can know for sure. God forgives all manner of sin and if you commit that sin as a professing believer and you really are a believer then that sin is covered by the blood of jesus now that doesn't give us a license to keep sinning what it does is gives us the security of knowing that we can't out sin the grace of god so we need to exercise discernment when we're listening to a radio program even this one and since I'm the one doing the radio program, if I say that, how much more do I want you to check out everybody? But the only way that we can check it out, and here's one of the problems that we've discovered, DW, on uh, it's in, in the six years or so that we've been doing this radio program. People often call a voice on a radio and just take everything that he or she says as gospel truth. We can't do that. That's why we have to be men and women of the Word. It's why we've got to check everything against Scripture. And that's how you develop discernment. One of the best things that God has ever done for me, and this goes way back to the beginning of my walk with Jesus almost 27 years ago. The best thing was the curiosity he put. And I would listen to so much because, like you, I always had the radio on. I was always listening to tapes. But when I heard somebody say something that I wasn't quite sure about, I dug my Bible out and I checked it out. And God really honors that kind of effort in terms of being discerning. He wants us all to be discerning. And just because somebody's on a radio program and we pay for these programs, so it doesn't mean that they're without air. It doesn't mean you don't have to check out what they say. Check out everything everybody says. Now directly to your point, if somebody has sex before marriage, and they are a Christian, they're going to be in heaven. Why? Because that is a sin covered by the blood of Jesus. If somebody has a baby out of wedlock, God is not only going to bless that baby, but He's going to forgive the sin of the mother and the father. doesn't mean they have to be married. I'm just saying that those sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. The only question, DW, that we have to know is... Is this person really a Christian or they just say they are? Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both say that people who live like this, and sexual immorality is just one in the list, people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. But that's not people that mess up or people that make a mistake and their heart is broken, they regret it. That describes people, even though they claim they're believers. That describes people who willfully rebel and sin against God and don't plan on making any change. Just this weekend, I had somebody come to me in the services and say that they had a a, a friend of theirs, somebody they cared about who was very active, promiscuous, sexually. And my friend was saying, it was a girl, the friend was saying of this other woman, well, I'm trying to tell you what's wrong. She goes, don't bother me. I'm okay. God understands. That's just the way I'm built. Well, that's a person who can't depend on their salvation. You see, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, DW, when you sin, your heart hurts. You're really sorry. You know it was wrong. And because his name is the Holy Spirit, if we're not walking in holiness, he's going to convict us of that sin. I do worry about the person that says Jesus with their lips, but there's no conviction of sin in their life. It's like, oh, God understands I'm okay. It's not okay. So that's kind of two sides to that same question. I hope that answers your question. Again, DW, please be sure to remember, always, always remember to check out everything that anybody says. Here is a question from Michael. Hello, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon. My prayers are with you, Paula, Calvary Chapel and this radio ministry. Michael, you don't know how much that blesses me. Thank you. Uh, In regards to Matthew chapter 22, verses 28 and 30, the Sadducees were testing Jesus about who would be the husband of the seven brothers. Here's what Jesus said. He answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. And then here's Michael's question. Does that mean that when we're in heaven, we won't know who our wives or husbands will be? Or does it mean, since we will be like angels of God in heaven, that our focus and attention will be on God and Jesus and not on ourselves? Um Michael, when, we, when I very first, again, this goes way back to the beginning of my walk, I'd messed up my marriage so bad that I couldn't imagine. I just couldn't imagine um, how good God was to give us a second chance. And I was so in love with her and so grateful to God for And then uh, I was reading this passage of Scripture, and it broke my heart. And I, I, I remember thinking, God... I finally had the marriage of my dreams and now you're telling me Paul and I won't be married in heaven. And I wrestled with this so, so much. And what I realized with more study is that since we will, all of us as Christians, Michael, be married to Jesus, we won't be married to each other. So Paula is not going to be my wife in heaven. I'm not going to be Jesus' bride. I mean, Paula's husband in heaven. We're both going to be Jesus' bride. Now, that's weird, and it doesn't make sense from a time and space perspective, but it's really important. Here's what it means. It means that since we're going to be married to Jesus, you're right, our focus is going to be just on Him. Our attention will be on His goodness, on His fullness. I will know, and Paula will know, that we were married here, and wonderfully we're going to love each other infinitely more than we love each other now but all of our love is going to be focused on the lover of our soul the one who gave everything for us now here's what I believe the Lord spoke to my heart in heaven and he speaks to us in ways that we can understand as I was wrestling with this I, I remember saying but, but but, will she still have to hang out with me and I thought the Lord smiled at my heart and said yeah she'll hang out with you it's okay so we're going to be fine we're going to be together in heaven we're going to be with our children in heaven Uh, we're going to be with those who died in Christ before even we were believers so yeah heaven's going to be wonderful there's going to be an intimacy and familial relationships that we can't even begin to understand but we will be so grateful for that Michael that our focus will be on praising God for all that he's done, for all that he's given. And every day in heaven will be a new adventure. So it's good for me. It's probably tough luck for Paula, but she's going to have to hang out with me. But we'll both be married to Jesus. And yet our love for one another will be more perfect than we ever imagined. Just so that, in case the question coming up in people's minds, it won't be a, an eros love, a sexual love won't be that at all it will just be the the, the, the wondering of our souls together as we worship Jesus together so Michael I hope that gives you some comfort Three, four, and you know what else Michael not only will Paula remember that I'm her husband but God will make sure she forgets all those ugly things that I did to her beforehand So I hope that helps. Thank you very much. We'd love your phone calls. 340-9585. Here is a question from Philip. He says, why did Jesus not want the rich young ruler to keep his money? Well, Philip, the reason he didn't want the rich young ruler to keep his money is because that money was the most important thing in in, in the world to him. Money, possessions, material wealth was more important than God was? more important even than his eternal salvation. So the reason the rich young ruler was told by Jesus to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me, is Jesus was telling him that's the way to obtain eternal life. You've got to give up everything in this world and follow me. That doesn't mean, Philip, that Jesus is against money. It just means that if money is a priority in your life that comes before him, then he's going to make sure you get rid of that too. Nothing can come before God. We can't serve two masters. we got to choose God or money. We who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, well, we're the ones who will be told that we have served faithfully. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because Jesus was more important than anything. Having said that, Philip, there's still a lot of people here A lot of people in this world who put material comforts, material wealth before Jesus, the rich young ruler, walked away from his encounter with Jesus sad. It's a very strong, continuous, present tense word in Greek. It means he was really grieved at heart, but he kept walking away. And I always think of this when I think of the rich young ruler story, you know, this was a guy who had everything going for him, he was rich, he was young, he was I'm sure drop-dead handsome, he was somebody who had uh, authority over others, the ruler, whatever he was a ruler of. Perhaps it was a synagogue ruler, we don't know, but he lived his life sad because he walked away from Jesus. Philip, my situation before I got saved was different. This guy came to Jesus. I didn't. I was a very successful businessman. I worked 100-plus-hour weeks. Nothing was more important to me than money, and it wasn't what money bought. It was just that money was the measure of success. You know, I could always hear my dad saying, you know, Ronnie, you've got to be successful so people will know your success. And I remember doing everything for money and then suddenly I was completely empty inside the more successful I was the more money I had the more I could buy Paula and our boys instead of things getting better I was only in more pain I was more and more miserable well God didn't come to me and say you gotta give me all your money he just let me send it away and I found out That life without money with Jesus was infinitely better than life with a lot of money and no Jesus well the rich young ruler didn't learn that lesson and he walked away the moral of the story Philip is nothing can come before Jesus not money, not dreams not hopes, not having fun not relationships, not anything, it's got to be Jesus and all Jesus all the time I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Tim. Pastor Ron, is it wrong to take a tax deduction on money that you give to the church? No, Tim, it's not wrong at all. Uh, I know some people that sort of count themselves you know, among the super spiritual type say, well, you know, I don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing and so I don't want the government to know what I give and I'm not looking for anything back as well. But I want you to think about something, Tim. If, The government gives you, now I'm talking about legal deductions, if the government gives you a legal tax deduction for giving money to a charitable organization, and that tax deduction will allow you to keep more money, doesn't it make sense then that that's more money that you can give back to the work of God? So, no, it's not wrong at all. Now, I don't want you to violate your conscience. If you believe in your heart that taking the deduction is wrong, then just don't do it. But I think we should have as much money in our hands as possible that we can commit to the work of God. Again, as long as they're legal deductions and you're being honest in your reporting then then those deductions are our right as American citizens, and we ought to take advantage of it. So there's nothing wrong, there's nothing at all unspiritual about it. Uh, just say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take advantage of it. When I get more money, then guess what? I've got more money to use to serve you. So, Tim, do it, and do it with a clear conscience. You know, this whole idea of money, I've got a couple of questions that I won't get to today. People are asking again, about tithing and how much they should give, should it be on the net or on the gross. Um, You know what, just give with a cheerful heart. I would like to see every Christian, every single Christian say, Jesus, what do you want to do with your money? Who do you want to bless? And that's a heart that not only would God bless, but God would speak to. You know, everything that we do here, uh, we we do it for free. Money matters a lot to us because we never have any. This radio program and the other teaching programs that we have on the air all over the country, they cost a ton of money, and we don't ask anybody for money. But Christians would if they would start giving out of a grateful heart instead of giving just a straight 10% or giving just whatever they feel comfortable with they just give to God because God has given everything for them God would be blessed the work would be blessed and you know what else God would be able to bless the giver we don't give to get but if we give with the right heart because everything that we have belongs to Jesus then the Bible teaches that God can't help but to bless us Again, it's not a prosperity comment. It's not name it and claim it. It's just God blesses abundantly those he can trust with his money. Those of us who are Christians who look at our paychecks like it's 90% ours and 10% God's, well, we're, we're, we're doing the minimum, but we're sort of doing it begrudgingly. And if we... So sparingly, will reap sparingly. Now I'm aware when I say that, that we've got so much bad teaching in our church culture that that reeks of prosperity gospel, but to understand it honestly is to truly, truly be given the keys to freedom. The question a moment ago in The Rich Young Ruler money possessed him, the man or the woman who understands that everything they have comes from God and thus belongs to him, that's the man or the woman who, when they say, Okay, Jesus, what about this money? It's yours. What do you want to do with it? That's somebody that God can trust. And I find that those are the people that God gives the gift of giving to. And when God gives the gift of giving, he really gives the gift of giving. 340-9585. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I don't think I have time. I've got three minutes. I don't have time for another question. Let me tell you a quick story. We had a man come, actually not even to our church, but one of my pastors was uh, speaking, filling in for a pastor here in town uh, who's uh, who lost his mother and he just didn't feel like being in church. And so I sent one of my pastors over there to fill in for him. And a guy comes up to him and he says, in the message, uh, after the message, he came up to him. But in the message, uh, our pastor been talking about our free school and, and the work that God is doing. And This goes back a lot, a lot of years now, probably um, fourteen years ago now. Um, but but he says, you know, I was really blessed by your message on faith, and God has given me the gift of giving. Now I've had people come to me in times past and say that they had the gift of giving. And, and, you know, I started holding my hand out with a smile on my face, okay. But in this case, this guy said, I have the gift of giving. So what do you need for your free school? What do you need for your church? And Pastor Barry was the, the man who was over there teaching, and he said, well, well, just like I said in the meeting or in the, in the service, Pastor Ron won't let us tell us what our needs are. And the guy says, you don't understand. I love to give. I have the gift of giving. And when I give, it changes churches' budgets. Now, he wasn't being arrogant at all. And Pastor Barry looked at him and said, well, well, just pray for us. I still can't say anything. I can't tell you what our needs are. And the guy kind of walked away just a little bit frustrated. Pastor Barry, there was another service to prepare for. So Pastor Barry was praying and felt a tap on his knee. And this man's wife handed him a check. It was for $100,000. See, that's a man that God could bless. That's a man that understands that everything he owns belongs to the Lord. And you know what's the best thing about that? When I came at the end of three services into my office, we heard this big crashing noise on a table. We had these metal tables in our children's church. And our offering box for the children's church was just a a bread box. And we hear this crashing noise, and it was a a little boy in our church who got up that morning and said to his mother, I want to give all my money to the church. And he'd saved a lot of coins, all coins, but there were a lot of them. I know, 40, 50, 60 bucks. I, I don't even remember. But he just dumped all of his coins into that bread box. And the noise, it was amazing. So on that one day, we got $100,000 from a guy that we'll never see again. A guy, by the way, who has received unbelievable rewards. Our, our school wouldn't have survived. And we got a little bit of money from a kid who gave everything. And Jesus said, that's the one who gave the most, because he gave it all. The guy who left here with the gift of giving still got of money. So I hope that makes sense. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. You're listening to the Word to Them for Life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: To the word to stand on for life, we're taking your calls at three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free 630 KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to our final thirty minutes on the Monday edition program. Again, ladies, because it's Monday tonight is our sweet summer devotion series. Sarah Green will be sharing her heart. You don't want to miss it, uh, and we'd love to have your calls. Phones are quiet. I keep telling you, you're more interesting than I am, so we'd love your calls. Here is a question from Dennis. He says, should we decide who to vote for based on a candidate's religious beliefs? Dennis, I don't think so. Now, let me kind of talk out of both sides of my mouth for a minute. I have not voted for some people because of their religious beliefs. But I wouldn't make a decision who to vote for based on the candidate's religious beliefs. Here's my thinking. I don't want to vote for somebody who has no moral compass. I don't want to vote for somebody who is uh, pro-abortion. Uh, I, I just could not in good conscience ever do that. I don't care if this person lines up with me on, on every political issue in the world except that um, a man or woman who is going to Uh, champion the cause of murdering unborn children. I I just couldn't do it. I also um, can't vote for somebody who uh, is um, promoting a a pro-gay or transgender agenda. And the reason I can't do it is because it's not because I want to deny rights to people. This is American. I realize this is a secular nation. But I can't vote for somebody who is causing God's children to stumble. Jesus said it'd be better for somebody to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the deepest, darkest ocean than to cause one of his little ones to stumble. And every time the government approves of something, then it just grows exponentially. In you know, 1973, nobody realized that at some point after Roe v. Wade was... Uh, made into law that there would be 65 million babies murdered. It was unthinkable. And yet that's exactly what's happened. Uh, in June of 2015, when the Supreme Court said that homosexual marriage was acceptable, think about all of the people that have now sort of come out of the closet and are now parading their sin in the city streets with pride. We've lost the ability as Americans to blush. Now, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, so please don't let me lose you here. But we've lost our ability to be ashamed of sin. Now we're more ashamed if we call sin, sin. So I I couldn't vote for people that did that. However, when we elect a president or a senator or a governor or a mayor or anything in between... We're not voting for a pastor. We're voting for a politician. You know, we go to doctors who aren't Christians. Why we go? We go because they're good doctors, because we have confidence in the service they're providing. Additionally, in our system of politics, Dennis, one of the things that we have to understand is that we only have a very, very limited choice. When it came time to vote for the president, last time we had two choices. You vote for Trump or you vote for Obama. Uh, I'm sorry, for Clinton. And so we have to make a choice. It doesn't mean that we approve of all of their behavior. It just means that we're going to vote for a candidate who best represents our issues. But their religious views have nothing to do with it. By the way... I've said on this program, I hate religion. Jesus hates religion. I don't want somebody who thinks that just because they're religious they're going to go to heaven influencing the people. So no, I don't think religious uh, beliefs should matter at all. I think morality matters a whole bunch more. So, Dennis, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to line one, Felipe in San Antonio. Felipe, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: Hey, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon. Uh, How are you today? To doing great. Doing great. Uh, I just wanted Good. to call and uh, just give a little update and and ask uh, and I ha- have a request as well. Um, so uh, Saturday, we're at the hospital and. Um, it was revealed to us that, uh, Bella, she had a, she, well, she has, uh, an infection. It's a pretty serious one. Um, so they put her in the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. Um, so she's going to be there receiving antibiotic treatment for the next nine, eight, nine days. Um, so I just, uh, wanted to ask for prayer, uh, especially for Jordan, just comfort for her and, mm-hmm. and for Bella herself. Um, uh, it was really hard yesterday. As we were leaving, we we, uh, we had to leave Bella there, and uh, <laughs> we saw a family leaving with their baby, and, and it just really struck Jordan pretty hard. So I, I was just letting her know that God is in control of everything, and, and uh, you know, we maybe this is just a a time for us just to rely, you know, completely on it. He always wants us to rely on him completely. So I just wanted to pray that, uh, you know, for for strength and comfort for, for Jordan and just healing for Bella and whatever the Lord's will is that it be done. And I just wanted to just give you that update.
2: Thank you for the update, Felipe. I'm going to pray now, and then you can listen on the radio. I'm going to, I'll am going i share a little bit more after I pray. Father, we thank you that, that baby Bella's in your hands. Her name means beautiful. Bless her. We ask that, the, the, that you give the doctors wisdom, that the antibiotics will do what they're supposed to do, and soon that Felipe and Jordan and Bella will be together singing your praises. Better come home as soon as possible, Jesus. Comfort. Jordan, so difficult for a mom to leave her baby at the hospital. And help Philippe stand in the gap for his family, Lord, praying faithfully. Do this, we ask, for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Philippe, I know you're still listening. Um, Obviously, we, you know, we, it seems like we have a billion babies that are born here, and we've had a whole bunch of moms who've gone through this. So uh, please let Jordan know she doesn't have to, to, to go through this alone. Uh, there, there are women who've been through it. We just had baby Ava, um, who was able to come home finally, and, and she was born quite premature, and she had to be in the NICU for, for I think, two and a half, three months. And and so mom was going back and forth and having to come home at night and you know she's got two other kids and a and a husband to care for. It's really really hard, but we've had this over and over, and and there just isn't really um, anything other than trusting the Lord that you can do. But please tell Jordan that she doesn't have to go through this alone. You know, Philippi, this reminds me. I, we we just had our graduation here at the end of May and. One of the girls that graduated, her name is Elizabeth. She was born, her mother uh, was, was very ill. Um, really, nobody thought she could have a baby. And, and Elizabeth was born uh, quite premature, very, very small. And I remember going into the NICU on the day that she was born and I held her in one hand In one hand, and I I just thought, oh, Lord, there's no way this baby can survive except you intervening. And uh, there was a peace that came over me, and I knew she was going to be okay. And it just didn't seem possible to me. Well, I got to hand that girl her diploma at the end of May. And I told her, I whispered in her as I gave her the diploma, I said, congratulations, you and I, we've been together a long time. And I just thought the hand that handed her the diploma was the hand that held her. That's how able God is, Felipe. Bless your heart, we'll be praying for you. Keep us posted. Thanks for the information. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions, or toll-free, 877 877- 630-KSLR. Here is Anonymous' question. He or she says, if after careful study, I have concluded that evolution is right and there was no real Adam and Eve, would you say that I'm not a Christian? Anonymous, I can't judge your heart. I can say that your study wasn't really careful at all. I can say that your study was lopsided with theories that come from this world I would also say that if there's no real Adam or Eve then none of us are saved it's just that simple there's, there's no Christian faith genuine Christian faith apart from the Genesis story being real and being literal Jesus believed in Adam and Eve He said, in the beginning, God created male and female. Jesus believed it. Now, he was the one who was there. Their science books weren't there. Those who propagate these theories weren't there. The other thing to understand is that if there was no Adam and Eve, if Adam and Eve, let me be more specific... If Adam and Eve weren't the first two humans, the only two humans made directly by the finger of God, then every single doctrine given to us in the Bibles that the New Testament Church depends on as being the very Word of God, every single one of them is a lie. Every single one of them falls apart. If there wasn't an Adam, there wouldn't need to be a second Adam. We're know in the epistles that that's Jesus. He wouldn't have had to die for our sins. If there was no Adam through whom we would inherit a sin nature, then every one of us would be accountable for our sin because Jesus could have just said, you know, I've come to tell you to to buck up, do right, because it would have been possible to say no to sin. There would be no need for Jesus to have gone to the cross. So I I will say this, Anonymous. Your study, as I said, wasn't careful. I don't know your heart. I don't know the motives. But evolution is the cruelest possible method of creating anything. And that would mean if there was a God and he used evolution to bring us to where we are. If we're just nothing more than animals or descendants from lower life forms who have evolved, then God is not only cruel, but he's playing a mean trick. And of course, if any of that's true, he's not God, then that would mean there is no God. It is just impossible to believe with no scientific link ever provided that one form of being evolves into another now there's evolution within species of course i always laugh at the kids here at church because kids these days have these huge feet i don't know if you've ever watched but they have got these huge feet well that wasn't true when i grew up these kids 10 11 years old their their feet are already bigger than most adults Well, we're adapting to our environment. So we're changing, we're evolving. But you never see a duck evolve into a kid. There's been no connection, no link. And all we have to do is use common sense. This doesn't even require faith. All we have to do is use common sense and say it's impossible. We also need to know, Anonymous, that anybody who promotes a theory of evolution, or a Big Bang theory, or any other theory of our existence, begins with the premise that there is no God. That's where they begin so God is off the table so when we say something like well you know the Bible says in the beginning God oh well we don't believe in a God we've discounted that and so they start creating their own evidence and you know you can see evidence everywhere if you're looking for it but it's not real evidence so are you a Christian a real Christian if you are then you will end up believing the Bible if not then you'll stand before the Lord on that day. He'll say, why didn't you believe me? And you'll say, well, because I believed in evolution. How would we explain that to the one, the only one who was there? So this is very important. If if evolution is true, Jesus himself, almighty, holy God, lied to us. And if he lied to us, well, he ceases to be able to even be God, and we're lost in our sin. I'll be praying for you. Here's a question from Jennifer. She says, I always believed Mary was a virgin her entire life. Is that true? And how do you explain Jesus' brothers and sisters? Well, Jennifer, you believed it because you were raised Catholic. You believed it because that's what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, That has been their tradition, in spite of the clear evidence of Scripture that Jesus did, in fact, have brothers and sisters. So if you look in the scriptures and see Jesus had brothers and their names are given, and he had sisters, that means Mary had to have sex with Joseph or she was an adulterer. And you can't explain that away. And every time I've had a Catholic approach me on that, they say, Well 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 the church teaches, I say, it doesn't matter what the church teaches, you've got to decide whether the Bible is your authority or whether the Catholic Church is your authority. And anybody that makes the Catholic Church their authority is really in for a long, difficult life because the Catholic Church has kept changing their mind over the centuries. I said on this program last week, we have a pope now, supposedly the vicar of God, when he speaks ex he's speaking for God without error. And yet he's undoing much of what the Catholic Church has traditionally believed and taught for centuries. The the, the logic just fails. So, Jesus did have brothers and sisters, she had, Mary did, other children. She did not have relations with him until Jesus was born. That's what the Gospel says. That's pretty clear-cut evidence that after Jesus was born, they had normal sexual relationships. Let's go to the phone lines now. Church, Scott in Shirts, Texas. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hello, Pastor Ron. How are you today?
2: Scott, I'm doing great. Thank you.
4: I just wanted to make a comment on the the person that called in about the evolution. Um, I was just studying, uh, well, first off, Nothing in the Bible has ever been disproven. Um, And over and over we find how it confirms what we find in the science side of it. But just this (laughs) last week I was teaching a Bible study in Genesis, and um, one of the things I I like to listen to, to, I've talked to you in the past, but I listen to different preachers on things. And Ray Steadman, I think it was a sermon that that he was teaching on in that that series back in like 1962. And he stated how... uh, he thought that the it was figurative what when they talked about the snake um eating the dust or the dirt but it was in early 1970s when science determined that the way a snake tracks its prey is the scent is left in the dirt it actually breathes its tongue goes out and brings the dust in to get the scent of its prey so what the bible says there is absolutely true and it, and the science confirms what is said there, and we find that over and over and over again with everything. If you really um, study it and look into it, I just not only with the person that wrote in, but anybody else that may have, have heard that comment. I just wanted to tell them. To, uh, and and the other thing is, is <laughs> the second time today that I heard uh, Bereans, We need to be Bereans. We need to, to <laughs> seek out the truth. Thank you, brother. God
2: bless. You're you're welcome, Scott. Thank you for the comment. You know, uh, Scott just brought a smile to my face mentioning Ray Steadman. Um, He's with Jesus now, but he's one of the really, really great ones, and uh, his stuff is now all available for free online. Um, So if you're looking for solid study materials, uh, great uh, old-fashioned preaching, and I don't mean fire and brimstone preaching, but just scholarly teaching, Ray Steadman was a great, great, great Bible teacher, and I recommend him very, very highly. The other thing, though, what we've got to understand about the, 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 the serpent um, stories in, in Genesis. Um, Satan, we know his ego. We know his pride. We know that Lucifer was the most beautiful of, of all of God's creations, as angelic beings. Um, as Satan, do you think he would have inhabited something that looks like the snake that we know today? The snake would have been upright the, the, the idea that he was cursed and then would be forced to, to crawl on his belly in the dust that was a curse that wasn't the way the, the snake originally looked you know people say well you don't believe a snake spoke no but I believe that Satan in the snake did demons we know like to, to have a corporeal body and so he would have inhabited the snake the snake would have been beautiful knowing Satan the snake would have been the most beautiful of all creatures and so he comes up to Eve he tempts her And then what God does as a result of the curse, you have to read very carefully, as a result of the curse, he condemns him to a life on his belly, slithering around in the dust. That wasn't the way the serpent looked before the fall. That's what happens after the fall. And that's a result of a curse. So Scott, thank you very, very much. Keep studying and keep holding on to your convictions Catherine, she says I don't understand sanctification correctly, and in parentheses I think, is this something that happens immediately uh, when we are saved or does it take a time Uh, Catherine, what happens immediately when we're saved is glorification and justification glorification is uh, the, the, the absolute security that we will stand before God absolutely glorified justification the minute we ask Jesus for forgiveness of of our sins um, justification means we're we're instantly just as if we'd never sinned so we're completely without guilt at that moment, sanctification is something completely different sanctification is the day by day process of being made more like Jesus that's all sanctification is it's growing in the knowledge of, of God it's growing in the knowledge of his will It's growing in terms of our knowledge of Scripture. It's growing in terms of our knowledge of of who we are and our limitations. So sanctification is a lifelong process. It's why the Apostle Paul, Catherine, could say, uh, in my flesh is no good thing. Now, if the Apostle Paul can say that, how much more for you and for me? It's the reason he could say what I want to do, I can't do, what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. If Paul could be that honest... That's his sanctification process. Why is it difficult for us to understand? So sanctification doesn't happen to me. It's not like we're going to get saved and live perfectly. We've still got flesh. Remember when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt? I say when I teach the passages in the Exodus that you can take the man out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the man. Egypt being a type of the world. Well, in the same Wait, when you get saved, you meet Jesus, you ask for forgiveness, and you're, you're justified, and you're, your glorification is already assured. But the problem is we still have all of these old bad habits and this old stinky, crummy flesh. And if that's the case, well, Jesus then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working especially through his word, Jesus makes us more and more like him every day. That's why it's so important to, one, be in the word why it's so important, secondly, to be with Jesus, to spend time with Him, invest in the relationship. You know, nobody gets to know somebody by just shaking hands. You've got to really dig in. You've got to share your heart with them, and they share their heart with you. Well, that's what Jesus will do. So if we're honest with Him, if we'll spend time with Him, we will be more and more like Him every day. So isn't something that happens immediately, Catherine? I think you probably understand sanctification uh, exactly the right way. So I hope that relieves some pressure. We're inside one minute, so we don't have time for any more questions on the program. Thank you for your call today. I want to remind uh, all of you that we have our Monday night studies tonight. Uh, especially ladies, the Sweet Summer Devotion Series with Sarah Green. Uh, I would also ask you to pray for Felipe Jordan and Bella as the Lord brings them to heart and mind uh, for um, uh, next few days. And we'll keep you posted on how they're doing. Appreciate you tuning in every single day. I don't want you to think I'm on vacation countdown, but we've just got like four more radio programs before we're going to be on vacation. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Find somebody that you can tell him about how good Jesus is and how much he loves them. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back on AM 630, The Word, tomorrow at 4 o'clock. See you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.